Praise the Lord, everyone. Oh, let's worship the Lord together right now. God is great. He's greatly to be praised. This is a time of celebration and rejoicing. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Remain standing just for a moment. I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And let me say it's a privilege to be here. And as I listened and watched, and that last story, I think, probably is one example of many that could be told. There's no way we can tell it all, but that's not an exception. That is an example. And so thank you, Pastor and Sister Hoffman, for 35 years of faithful service here to this assembly, as well as your ministry that has an impact around the world. It's my privilege to be able to participate in your celebration today. So I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and verse 5. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, which he had founded. 1 Corinthians 2, 4. And my, speeching, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to preach today faith in the power of God. You may be seated. I want to make a few introductory remarks. Uh, as I said, it's a privilege to be here. I, this is my first opportunity to preach in this local assembly. And uh, this church is a key church for the D Detroit metro area and for world revival. And it's always a joy for me to come to a local assembly because the mission of the United Pentecostal Church International is the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. So we need churches just like your church and pastors just like your pastor and other ministers. I want you to know every prayer that you pray, every dollar that you give, every soul that you bring to the Lord, every person you disciple, every time you participate in some kind of rally in this area or convention or a district conference or general conference, every time your pastor and other ministers participate, you are helping to fulfill the mission. So you can see the growth here. You can see souls' lives changed here. But what you don't see is your work joined together with thousands of other churches is making an impact on the entire world. So it's, we're part of something bigger. The United Pentecostal Church International... There are 210 nations of the world as identified by the Population Reference Bureau. We are in 199 of the 210 nations, plus 38 territories, 39 territories, 238 nations and territories. 43,000 churches worldwide, including our daughter works and preaching points. Here in the U.S. and Canada, over 48, almost 4,900 churches over 11,000 credentialed ministers. So we have millions of people baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, pursuing holiness, worshiping in spirit and truth, seeking the coming of the Lord. That's your church. You are part of that church. I was in Cuba last year. Cuba is a communist country and it's in economic turmoil. It's been very difficult for us to work in that country under the restrictions. And over the years, we've had works, but they've lived under oppression and fractured, splintered. But 
things are changing. And so I was able to go there for a unity conference last year. And I was in the city of Havana, which has some old historic Catholic churches, but almost nothing in the way of new churches as far as nice buildings. But God opened the door some years ago. There was a group of Korean evangelicals that wanted to start having seminars in that country. But according to the law, they couldn't own property. So they approached our apostolic pastor and said, he was meeting in a small facility. They said, if you will let us have annual seminars, we will build you a church and put it in your name. So they built one of the nicest churches in Havana. We'll seat 500 people. It's in the name of our apostolic pastor. I preached there in a unity conference with filled to capacity 500 people. 75 received the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. See what God will do? And so uh, we, we have a Bible school, but now we're able to operate more openly. And so we're trying to identify a possibility and so seven acres of land with a nice home became open where we can build on this school but our missionary who works in now the country said we need to have hundred and fifty thousand dollars immediately to snap this up or we'll lose it so we contacted our headquarters of course we have lots of money at headquarters but it's all designated so he is wanting to know where can I find hundred and fifty thousand dollars well probably about 20 years ago God worked on the heart of one of our senior pastors at the time in Alexandria, Louisiana, G.A. Mangan, who's passed away at least 10 years. And God told him, you need to build a Bible school in Cuba. So he started raising money, got some of his friends and his church to start sending money every month to headquarters. And over the years, they kept trying to find a way to buy. But government restrictions, economic turmoil, they never could find a way to buy it. So last year, our missionary says we got to have $150,000 immediately for a Bible school in Cuba. And so when we researched the records, we said, well, we've got a fund for a Bible school in Cuba that has over $150,000. We'll send the money to you this month. That's your church. That's what you are doing by being joined together with thousands of other churches. I was in Fiji in December, the South Pacific Island nation of a little over a million people. Fifty years ago, we started the first United Pentecostal Church, the first church that was preaching water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Before that time, no one. In that conference, there were 4,000 believers. They had them identified as to what decade they came to the church and Pastor Hoffman, I'm close to your age. We're still quite young and active in ministry. But I did receive the Holy Ghost. Now this will be, this year is my 60th spiritual birthday. And so to my shock, I realized of the 4,000 people in that auditorium, I had the Holy Ghost longer than any of them. 50 years ago, there was no church. Now across the islands, we have 12,000 constituents which is over 1% of the population of the entire nation. In that conference, 193 people received the gift of the Holy Ghost, 25 miraculous healings, a woman who was deaf received her hearing, 
a woman who was blind received her sight. This is just an example of what God is doing all across the world. And if God will do that in Fiji, and if God will do that in Cuba, I'm pretty sure God will do that in Detroit, Michigan, Sterling Heights. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. I'm preaching today, have faith in the power of God. Amen. Faith in the power of God. The Apostle Paul, if you go back and read from the beginning of the chapter, he said, you know, I didn't come with excellency of speech. I didn't come with wisdom. I came declaring the testimony of God. Now, Pastor Hoffman, I don't have to tell you, he's one of the outstanding preachers of Pentecost. And uh, he has got a sharp mind, a deep and keen mind. But I think he would agree with me. We're not trying to emphasize how good people can preach. It's not about us. It's not about personality. It's not about eloquence. It's not about human wisdom. It's not about uh, how many degrees we can attain. Those are tools that God can use, but our faith cannot be in any human being or any organization. Our faith must be in the power of God. Our faith must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it is right to honor spiritual leadership. We've done the right thing today. It is right to celebrate this beautiful building, and I'm excited to hear about your Let's Imagine uh, capital campaign because obviously you need a new building. You need a bigger building to be more effective in what God has called you to do. It's not about ego. It's not about comfort. It's about a tool for evangelism. And if, you know, if we're living in a climate like Fiji, some of those churches just have a roof and no walls, and that's just great. That doesn't quite work in Detroit, Michigan. you got to have a building to be effective in doing everything you're called to do. So it's right to have a building and to strive hard. And I can just tell you, my wife and I started a church in Austin, Texas a number of years ago. We started in our home. We went through four building programs, the church now is right there on the freeway uh, with, a, with an auditorium that seats about 1,000. We have about 60,000 square foot finished and another 40,000 under roof and 500 parking spaces, et cetera, et cetera. So I know the value of that. I know the difficulty of building programs. I know what it's like to raise money. But I can tell you, God bless our church. Uh, we put in about $15 million in the project. But now it's worth $36 million, and we owe $6 million on it. Of course, I don't have to worry about that. Pastor Shaw does that. But in other words, if you do your part, God will step in and bless abundantly above what you're able. And I remember uh, when we built the first couple of buildings at that time, of course, that's years ago, we had $3 million invested and about 3.5 million, when we sold that building to start the new building, God gave us all the money we'd ever invested plus $500,000 of interest. So we stayed in that, that whole building complex all those years just for a minimal amount of money. 
and I counted up, we had also given to world missions about the same amount of money. So if you think, well, this is going to be so hard to put all of our money in some building, God will bless it. If you do your part, God will bring resources from other places. You will have your building and you will give to world missions. You will double your investment in the kingdom of God. You will not lose money. You will not suffer loss. And whatever you give, God is going to bless your families. And it's not always economic, but God will bless your children and your grandchildren. And while you're giving away, while you're giving sacrificially, God is giving back to you. I can testify by personal experience. During my tenure, we started 16 daughter works. So I can tell you that when you sin strategically, you don't lose, you gain. The kingdom of God grows. Out of that network, there are approximately 2,000 members or constituents because of that work. So I commend you for what you're doing. Now, I said all that to say we honor spiritual leadership. We're thankful for good buildings. We are thankful for an organization. I just spent some time telling you the benefits of belonging to the UPCI. But at the end of the day, I'm not preaching put your faith in what humans can do. I'm not saying put your faith in the personality of Harold Hoffman or David Bernard or Dan Mitchell. I'm saying put your faith in Jesus Christ. We're thankful for building programs. We're thankful for organizations. We need all that. But at the end of the day, our faith is not in the ability of humans. Our faith is not in the wisdom or eloquence of humans. Our faith is in the power of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, some people think Paul was denigrating education or denigrating study. No, he wasn't writing apology for being lazy. He was not saying we should not have or use gifts and talents. We've been blessed by the wonderful singing and music here today. So if God has given you a talent for music, that's great. But you need to practice. You need to improve. You need to excel. You need to study. We appreciate our preachers, but if God has called you to preach or to teach, you should study. You should dig into the Word of God. You should get all kind of resources. You need to read and understand so that you can put the Scripture in a context of our culture that will relate to people. That takes time. That takes hard work. Paul was not denying that because if you look at his own life, he was trained at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the foremost rabbis of the first century. And he also had some kind of secular education, whether it was self-taught or not, because, for example, in Athens, when he preached to the Greek philosophers in Acts 17, he quoted from memory from Greek philosophers and poets. He took time to study his culture, to understand what people were thinking. So Paul was not saying, don't study, don't work hard, don't go to school, don't go to college, don't go to Bible college, you know, just, just, uh, just, just, just go with the flow. He wasn't saying that. But what he was saying, with all your study, all your hard work, all your gifts, talents, and abilities, all your practice, at the end of the day, do not rely on your talent. Do not rely on your education. But your faith must be in the power of God. If you're going to sing, practice. But you need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. If you're going to preach, 
study, but you need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. No matter who you are, we must operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In fact, he said in verse 2, I decided I wouldn't know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That sounds simple. It is simple. It's not simplistic, but it is simple. He said, everything I preach was going to be about Jesus Christ. Think about it. If everything you preach focuses on Jesus Christ, what are you going to end up preaching? You'll preach preach that there's one God who created us. He wanted us to have fellowship with him. But we sinned. We broke the fellowship. Seemingly, we thwarted his plan. God could have destroyed the human race and started with a different plan. But he loved us so much that he made a plan of salvation. He gave his only begotten son to die in our place. Jesus Christ, the son of God, who is actually God manifested in the flesh. As a human being, Jesus died for us. He was buried. He rose again. So if you preach Jesus and him crucified, you'll preach that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. He's the Son of God. He's God manifest in the flesh. You won't stop with his death because he's not dead today. He's not hanging on a cross today. He was buried in the tomb and then he rose again the third day to bring victory over death, hell, and the grave. So you will preach the gospel, the good news, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you won't stop there because that happened 2,000 years ago. But we're going to preach, if you preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, you'll preach how that applies to our lives today. As the apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, repent of your sins. We die to the old life in repentance from sin. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The Bible says we're buried with Jesus Christ in water baptism. That's why we always call on the name of Jesus. Jesus died for us. He's the only Savior. His blood washes away our sins. Our faith is not in a human. Our faith is not in the ceremony. It's not in the water. It's not in the preacher. It's in Jesus. So we say, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we preach is Jesus. And then Peter said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's God's spirit. The Holy Spirit is resurrection life. So if you preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, you'll preach his death, his burial, his resurrection, the gospel. But you'll also preach our response to the gospel how we apply that message personally to our lives, which is repentance, water baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit. But you won't stop there. The book of Galatians says, the Apostle Paul explained, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified to the world. I'm crucified to the flesh. What does that mean? That means I treat the world and its temptations as if I'm dead to it. I treat the temptations of the flesh as if I'm dead to it. So if someone is dead, we're having their funeral, and we come with a bottle of wine and offer a drink, they're not going to take it. 
If we offer a $1,000 bribe to go out and commit a crime, they're not going to do it. They're dead. We as Christians must be dead to the world, dead to the flesh, and alive to God. That means we no longer follow the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. But instead, we pursue holiness. What I'm saying, if we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, we'll want to live a holy life. We'll live a holy life on the inside and on the outside. It will change the way we think. It will change our relationships. It will change the way we talk. It will change our social media. It will change the way we dress. It will change what we watch. And it'll change everything about us because now we're pursuing a new life in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. So if you follow me, when you preach that simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, and everything you preach has got to be focused on that, you're going to preach the one true God. You're going to preach the incarnation, Jesus Christ, God manifests in the flesh. You're going to preach the atonement. His, he, he died for our sins. You're going to preach the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection. You're going to preach the new birth, repentance, baptism, the Holy Ghost. You're going to preach a holy life. In other words... You're going to preach the apostolic Pentecostal doctrine that this local assembly stands for. That's the foundation. And so the apostle Paul said, I decided not to try to impress you with eloquence or philosophy, but I just came preaching Jesus. You see, he knew that no matter how great he preached, if people were attracted simply by his personality or his persuasive words, his, his eloquence, his philosophy, well, six months later, somebody else would come who has even smoother speech, has even more clever arguments. And so they'd go from one teacher to another and end up in false doctrine. But he said, I tried everything I could to get you to have faith in God. Because if your faith is in the power of God, then no matter what false doctrine comes, no matter what trials come, no matter what temptations come, no matter what attack of the devil comes, you're going to stand because your faith is not in men. Your faith is not in me. Your faith is not in my speech. Your faith is not in my intellect, but your faith is in the power of God. I don't know exactly when this church was started, but it wouldn't have survived if faith was in humans. And 35 years, we've hit the highlights, we've shared the victories, but I'm smart enough to know there's been some battles and struggles and even at least some temporary defeats. If we are depending on human ability, we wouldn't be here today. But we're here because of the power of God. I'm challenging you, put your faith in God. Now, this is a ceremonial occasion, and that's wonderful. But the greatest celebration we're going to have is in a few minutes, somebody be healed of sickness. Somebody receive the Holy Ghost. Somebody repent of their sins. Somebody be renewed. Somebody online be stirred enough to come to church next week. We need the power of God. Now, sometimes we make faith more difficult than it's supposed to be. Now, if it's a headache, we can pray and have faith that the headache will probably go away the day or, next day or two. But if you have a diagnosis of inoperable cancer, 
if you have a family that's getting ready to be destroyed, it's a struggle to have faith. And so we try our hardest to build up more faith in our brains. And, and we think, you know what, of all the people here, I probably have the least amount of faith. You know, Pastor Hoffman has this tremendous faith. But I don't have that kind of faith, so nothing, nothing's going to happen for me. And some people say, well, let's, let's find a radio preacher, TV preacher, internet preacher has some extraordinary claim. You know, let's find this hero of faith. Well, actually, you're missing the point. Faith is accessible to every one of us. You see, the power of faith is in the object of your faith. It's not in your brain. It's in who you believe in. For example, I was raised in Korea. My parents were missionaries. At that time, Korea was a very poor country. I remember, it, and it was a non-Christian, still is a non-Christian country. People, the majority of people worship ancestors or spirits of nature or Buddha, things like that. I remember visiting the Buddhist temple, and I would see these people coming, bringing their offerings to Buddha, their flowers, fruit, lighting candles, lighting incense, reciting prayers with their beads. And I, I watched some of these people coming very sincerely. I'm not, I'm not disparaging them. I'm not making fun of them. But they would come and they would raise their hands high above their heads in slow motion and bow all the way to the floor where their head is touching the floor, their hands outstretched. And they would get up and maybe do that 25 times, maybe 50 times. At the end, they would turn around, they would walk away. No change of expression, no joy. No forgiveness, no deliverance, no healing. They go back to the same problems at home. They had faith, I would say, as much as ours. So I'm not, I'm not ridiculing them. But what was the problem? The object of their faith had no power. The object of their faith was a man who died 2,500 years ago and still buried the object of their faith was this giant metal statue. It had eyes, but they couldn't see. It had ears, but they couldn't hear. So all the faith in the world did not produce one result because the object of their faith was powerless. Now think about us today. 300, 400 people in this room and others online, and you might be sitting there saying, I have the least amount of faith of 400 people in this room. But you're here, right? Nobody hit you over the head and dragged you here. You're here because you have faith. Even if your faith is very small, you're listening. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. So actually your faith is, has gotten greater since you've been here. If you would just take that little faith, and I'm not advocating having only a little faith. I'm just saying take what you have. If you would take whatever faith you have and put it in the direction of the almighty God, you could still get an answer to prayer. You could still receive a miracle because the power of faith is not in your brain and your ability. The power of faith is in the object of your faith, the almighty God revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the name of salvation, the name that is above every name. 
Now, if you think I'm getting kind of speculative here, Matthew 17 has a story. A man who had a boy that was attacked by demons and he was having seizures and he would, was at risk of being injured or killed if he fell into the fire, into the water. In desperation, the man brought his son to the disciples. They prayed, but nothing happened. So then Jesus showed up and the man asked Jesus if he could do anything. Jesus said, if you have faith, all things are possible. He proceeded to cast out the evil spirit, heal the boy, one of the great miracles of Scripture. So then the disciples took Jesus aside and said, how come we couldn't do that? And Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, because of your unbelief. He said, if you would have faith as a grain of mustard, a mustard seed. That was the smallest seed that the farmers in Palestine used. He said, if you had the smallest amount of faith... You can say the mountain, move, and it would move. And nothing shall be impossible to you. Now, he wasn't trying to measure the size of a mustard seed. Mustard seed is about the size of the head of a straight pin. So from this distance, you don't know if I have one or not. You can't see it. It's that small. What Jesus was saying, I think, don't try to measure your faith by other people. Don't try to compare. Don't try to figure out, is, is it enough or too small or do I need more? Just use what you have. So if I take one seed and hold it in my hand, it does nothing. I put it in a packet or a box. I put it on a shelf. It will sit there for all intents and purposes. It's dead. Year after year after year, it produces nothing, it does nothing, it's dead. If you're hungry, it won't supply your need, you can't feed your family, it's useless. But take that same one seed and plant it in the ground. Even after years, it could grow a plant. That plant could have dozens or hundreds of seeds. You could plant again. Eventually, you could have a harvest that will feed you and your family for the rest of your life all from one useless seed, one dead seed. Faith is like that. You're here today. There's a seed of your faith in your heart. If you're online, you're watching for a reason. There's at least a mustard seed worth of reason why you're listening. But it won't do anything if you just walk away. But if you take that one seed and plant it, it can grow. And nothing shall be impossible to you. So whether it be your church wanting a tremendous building program, how do you get from here to there? Start planting the seeds. You've already done a million or so. You made a good start. But that's not the end. And the ability is not going to be what you can plan and calculate and perceive. God's going to do more than what you can think, more than what you can calculate, more than what you expect. But you got to start with planting the seed. So sometimes we ask everybody to come or people with a special need to come to the front. Do you have to come to the front to receive an answer? No, it could be in the back. It could be at home. We, we lay hands on people representing God's hands. We anoint with oil, as the scripture says, representing God's spirit. Do you have to have that physical touch? No. But 
we need to focus our faith. We have to take the generic faith that causes us to sit and listen, and we have to concentrate and focus it on a particular need and a particular urgent plea that God will intervene, not sometime, whenever, maybe out there, if he so chooses, but here and now, I need you. And so when we come to the front or when we lay hands or we know it with all, that's saying, God, I'm here right now. I'm planting the seed here. And something happens. Put your faith in the power of God. Let's stand. So Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, ask and it shall be given. Many times we don't have because we just don't ask. You say, well, I did ask, nothing happened. Well, go to the next level. Seek, and you shall find. You know, seeking is more active, right? You have to, you have to get up and look around. Say, so, well, nothing happened. Well, don't give up now. Go to the next level. Knock. Have you ever noticed that? A-S-K, ask, seek, knock. So you just memorize a verse of Scripture just like Pastor Hoffman. You now know Matthew 7, 7. 7 is God's number of completion. You can't forget that. A, ask and it shall be given. S, seek. What happens? You find. Knock. What happens? Doors open. Now you have that verse of scripture in your heart. But think about the knock. It's more aggressive than simply asking. It's more aggressive than seeking, right? So if the door is open, you don't have to knock, right? You just walk in. You knock because the door is closed. How many times do we have a need or a desire, but we just assume the door is closed? Or we try to walk by faith and we go up against the closed door. We shrug our shoulders. Oh, well, I guess it's not God's will because the door is closed. No. God says you're supposed to knock. Try the doorknob. Push. Do something. Step out of the ordinary. Step out of your comfort zone. Do something that you haven't been doing. Have faith in the power of God. My, one of my, I got three kids. They're all grown and married. One of my sons was helping produce General Conference last year. And two weeks before General Conference, his wife, Kaylee, slipped on the floor at church, hit her head hard on the concrete, severe brain concussion. She couldn't think straight. She couldn't sleep. She had a black eye. She was dizzy hurting the doctor said there's no way you can travel you can't go to general conference you're gonna have to have bed rest for a couple weeks that's pretty devastating he said you're 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 very sick this is this is dangerous if you don't get rest this is gonna be permanent but you know we prayed and I felt God saying I'm gonna give you a testimony out of this well nothing happened when we prayed but but my son put put the request on social media. He has quite a following through his drums. He has a bigger following than I have, Brother Hoffman. So I'm the second most popular member of my family on social media. <laughs> and so within a few hours, God touched her. The nurse called to check on her. Kaylee answered. She says, well, I need to speak to Kaylee Bernard. She says, well, I'm Kaylee Bernard. She says, no, I need to speak to the woman who has the brain concussion. She says, I'm the woman who has the brain concussion. How can you be talking like this? You don't have a brain concussion. 
She went to the doctor. The results were so dramatic. He looked at her and said, this is not the young woman I saw a couple weeks ago. There's nothing wrong with you. You are completely healed. There's no damage. You can go to General Conference. You can fly. You can do whatever you want to do. I'm telling you, it's time to have faith in the power of God. Let's see what God wants to do today. Let's see what God wants to do with Let's Imagine. Let's see what God wants to do with 2023. Let's see what God wants to do with First Church. Let's see what God wants to do with your family, with your life, with your ministry. Oh, praise God together. Close your eyes with me as I turn this back to the music team. Pastor Neto, Pastor Hoffman, if there's somebody here today, you need a miracle. I want you to come quickly to the front to stand or kneel. If you've never really given your heart to Jesus Christ, come and begin to repent of your sins. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to change your life. If you've never received the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, I want you to come right now. After you repent of your sins, you begin to worship God. In a few minutes, you'll receive the Holy Ghost. If you need healing, come. If your family needs a miracle, come. It's time to have faith in the power of God.